Thank you for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. My name is Brandon. I am coming from India and I am very grateful that you are tuning into my podcast. If you would like to know any questions, please don't hesitate to email or call me and I will answer them. Please know that the opinions you are about to hear are only from me. They do not represent any companies that I work for or any entities that I own. Thank you for listening. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Johnny my last day here in Tennessee. I kind of have mixed feelings. It's been an awesome trip. I mean, I was alone the whole time, which, well, I'll get into that later, but certain times it was kind of lonely and, some, and certain times it was fine. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm leaving tomorrow, driving to Shreveport, spending the night there, then driving on back to Corpus Christi on Wednesday. So I wanted to get one last podcast in. I'm hoping that I can get this thing edited tonight and get it posted, but I'm not sure if I'll have time. So I mentioned the, uh, the other day that I went and got some hot chicken in Franklin. And so what I didn't tell you was that I ate some for lunch and then I ordered enough to bring home and have some for dinner. So for lunch, I had a um, just a chicken sandwich with the uh, Nashville hot chicken on the inside of it. I said, man, that was pretty good. I'm going to order some more and take it home. So I ordered a breast and a leg quarter. And the breast I got, like, uh, there was various levels of, of hotness. It was like one through five or whatever. And when I first ordered my to-go order, I said, I'm going to breast and a thigh at uh, the executioner heat level. That was the name of the heat level. You know, they can't just have one, two, three, four, five. It's got to be like baby food. Then it's going to be like a little bit warm on a sunny day. And then it's like rocket fuel. And then it's like death juice. <laughs> So I got to the counter and I was uh, I ordered my chicken to go, and I said I would like a breast and a thigh at uh, executioner hot, hotness level. And for lunch I had Rambo. So executioner is one step up the ladder. And the kid behind the counter goes, "Are you sure about that?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He goes, "That's pretty hot." And I said, "Well, man, I'm from Texas. I've been eating Mexican food my whole life. I like hot stuff, and it's funny as they get older, I don't like hot stuff as much." But the Rambo level of spice wasn't nearly even close to being too spicy. And I've kind of been on a kick lately where I, I want to eat hot stuff more than normal. I just go like in waves. Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't. So anyway, so I ordered them one. Uh, I ended up changing my mind. I said, look, I'll do one Rambo, which is how I had my, my lunch. And then I said, I'll do one executioner. And so I'll have two pieces of chicken for dinner. That's it. Nothing else. And so about 7.30, 8 o'clock, I ate the... Uh, the breast, and it was Rambo, just like what I had for lunch. And I was eating it, and I was like, this is pretty good. It's not it's not too hot. And then I was thinking like, oh, yeah, it's the thigh that's the hot one. So, I don't know, about 11.30 rolls around. I was like, you know what? I'm going to eat my other piece of chicken. So I go in there. I don't even heat it up, and it's sitting on the, a piece of white bread. Like, they put the white bread down in the container. They put the chicken on top, and they put some pickles on top of that. So I go to tearing apart the chicken, and I'm wrapping it up in the white bread. But the white bread had soaked up like all of the juice and the spices of the chicken. 
And man, that stuff set me on fire. And you know, when you eat fried chicken, you can't stop. Like when your mouth's on fire and you're eating chicken, and it's just like, oh, it's too good. It's too bad. It's hot. It's, I don't know what to do. So I just kept eating and eating and eating. Finally, I finished my thigh. My eyes were watering. Tears were streaming down my face. I had already drunk all the Kool-Aid. I didn't have anything left except milk. I started drinking the milk. I finished the milk. I was like, oh, no, what do I do? So <laughs> I ate like five spoonfuls of just white sugar from the coffee area. I was like, five spoons of sugar will do it. It finally calmed down, but I don't know if you've ever eaten anything really, really hot. I could feel it burning inside my stomach. And I thought, either two things are going to happen. I'm either going to throw up or I'm going to have terrible heartburn. But I suspect one of those two. And thank goodness nothing happened because I didn't have any heartburn medication. And I did not want to throw that stuff up. So word of the wise, if you ever go to the, I think it's called like the... Shake Shack, or no, it's not the Shake Shack. It's the chicken place in Franklin. I don't know what it's called, but it's like the only hot chicken place there. And supposedly they're franchising, so maybe it'll make it all the way to Texas. But if you eat a bunch of hot chicken and you go for the second to the highest level of spice, make sure you're ready for it, because I was not. The next morning, when I went to rub the sleep out of my eyes, yeah, I just filled my eyes full of peppers and cayenne. It was, uh, it was a rough morning. Luckily, I thought before I went to use the restroom, and if anyone wants to get away to Tennessee, I'll be glad to share this place where I've been. I highly recommend that everyone go on an alone trip once a year, maybe once every two years. It doesn't have to be for two weeks. It doesn't have to be far away. I just think it's been really good to be secluded from the craziness of day-to-day life and not feel like I have to be involved in anything. And it's allowed me to be a little more creative a little more relaxed, a lot more stress-free. And yeah, it's been good. Like, you know, you don't have to focus on, I got to go grocery shopping and I got to do this and I got to prepare dinner for other people and I got to get the fire going and I got to get the dogs exercised. I mean, the dogs came with me and it's just like by default, everything we did all day, by the end of the day, we were all exhausted. So it was great. So yeah, I recommend um, you take a hammock, you go somewhere where you want to be and you spend a ton of time outside with your dogs by yourself once a year. That would be my recommendation. Even if it's a weekend, you know, even if you leave on a Friday and come back on a Sunday. I think we don't um, we don't spend enough time alone with our thoughts. I mean, most people don't. If you're single, obviously you do. But I think I could see how being married with kids, like you would not get much time to to just reflect and be inquisitive and ponder and and dissect. And I know the grass is always greener on the other side, but it's been really nice um, for me to, to be able to unplug. Am I all motivated and recharged and ready to go back to Texas coronavirus land and fight the governor on trying to get a brewery back open so you don't go out of business? I can't sit here and say yes, <laughs> but at least I've brought the stress level down a little bit to create a buffer. I can I can get there and, and just pile some more on without exploding. I think I officially decided <laughs> I am done with bust a bit. <laughs> they got me this morning. And, you know, I, at first, when I first started playing, I thought, oh man, I got a system. Like it's going to be tough to lose. You know, I think I can make about 500 bucks a day and not, not really risk that much. Well, the first four days went beautifully. They just, everything went like it was supposed to go. And it's, it's kind of too complicated to explain on here, but 
you're almost the way the way that I was betting on this game. And you can go to bustabit.com, and it's uh, you're using Bitcoin. But either way, that's why the name of it's Bust a Bit. The way that I was betting was virtually just betting on a coin flip. So uh, th- this number goes up and all this stuff. But uh, yeah, I I was just I needed the number to get to a certain point every time, and then I won exactly what my bet was. And so I bet in ten dollar increments. The kicker, though, is that if you lose, you have to double up. So you've heard the phrase, like, double up to catch up. And you see it, like, a lot in roulette. People will bet red. And if they lose, they double their bet, bet red again. Because they're like, what are the chances you're going to hit, you know, seven blacks in a row? Oh, (laughs) it happens. It definitely happens. Because at first I thought, yeah, I mean, what are the chances it's going to hit? you know, more than five reds or blacks. And, and, and I say reds or blacks, and it's, it's essentially the same. You know, I'm just using that for a, a comparison. But it happens, you know. So you bet once, you lose. You bet again, you double. You bet again, you double that. And before you know it, it's like, it's, it grows, it's exponential, right? So yeah, I started out with a $10 bet. If you lose like five times, you're up to like 320 bucks. And so my rule was, I'm going to start with 500 bucks. I'm either going to walk away plus 500 or minus 500. And so four days in a row, I nailed it. Boom, boom, boom. I'm up two grand. I'm like, I got this. I got today. And I, it's honestly, it was getting to the point where I did not like playing. I kind of felt grimy, even though, I mean, I, I could have afforded to lose the money. I just, I didn't want to, obviously, but I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about that and my problems with myself with, with gambling. But after winning four days in a row, I was like, yeah, I got it today. And I was playing, playing, playing. It's taken me about an hour every day. That's all I did. I'd play for an hour. I'd win 500 bucks. I would wait, not touch it again until the next day. And so, you know, you got to have your rules. You got to have your parameters. But really, it's all luck of the draw. Like, no matter what you do, no matter how much strategy you think you have, you cannot beat the house. So my odds, the odds were in the house's favor by 0.5%. So basically, there was a... 50.5% 50.5% chance I would lose and a 49.5% chance I would win. But if you compound that and you look at it like, okay, but what are the chances that you roll or you you spend five reds in a row and not a red, black, red, black, black, red, right? And so technically, the flip before it has no impact on the flip after it. But in our minds, we we want to look at it like, well, it's unlikely to hit the same one multiple times. And there's two different ways to look at it, and there's a big argument about it. But I saw, I think, 11 or 12. I set up a little um, recorder thing to record what happened while I was gone. And it just this thing just runs 24-7. It's like almost every 5 to 10 seconds, you can bet. And so I saw like 11 busts come up. So I knew the amount of money that I was willing to lose, I couldn't fund more than like 6 or 7 busts. So I knew... I needed to just basically get in and get out before those six or seven came up in a row. It's just a matter of time before they would. And I know that because I sit there and watched it for three days. So, yeah, this morning was the day it all came to an end. And so I, I was playing, 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 and I was, up, I was up 400. I was 10 games away from hitting my goal and quitting for the day. And I had kind of almost thought, okay, if I win today, I leave, I leave here up like $2,500. That's good. I'm going to call it good. But I lost the bank that I had made today, plus I lost the money that I had started with. So I'm walking away with 1500 bucks, which covers my trip, and then some. So, you know, 
Harry told me today, he said, oh, gambler, you got it right. You got to know when to walk away. You got to know when you're done. So I'm done with Bust a Bit. I say that. It's running right now. I had like, I had 800 bits left, which is basically 800 cents, <laughs> which is basically $8 left in, in that account. So I'm letting it run right now. You can just program it. Like if, if this happens, bet this. If this happens, bet that. And so right now it's just running and it's, it's been winning since, uh, I don't know, 10 o'clock this morning and it's, I've like doubled my money, but that's, I know it's going to go away. I just want to see how long it would take. Yeah, so that's the bust a bit update. Probably done for good. There's no way to make easy money. You can't outsmart any gambling system, but it sure was fun to try. And and gambling's not for me. And I figured it out about I don't know, long times ago, like um in my mid 20s maybe, maybe late 20s. And what I figured out was, and I think I may have mentioned this on an earlier podcast, but when I lose, I get really 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 mad. Even if it's just like a little bit of money, even if it's like 10 bucks, I still, it hurts me to give that money away knowing that like what I've had to do for my money in my life, you know, I mean, I've been working so hard the last few years to see $10 go away hurts me, but to see a hundred dollars come in, the the hundred dollars that comes in isn't equal to the $10 of pain. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I'd have to win a lot more to make me just a little bit more satisfied. I don't know. For me, the fun part was getting addicted to the numbers and the probability and the statistics and trying to come up with a system. And I learned, I learned that you won't beat it. And gambling's not something that I'll ever have to be worried about being addicted to. At least I don't think so. I think I'll always be safe uh, to, you know, enjoy it with friends, hang out at the casino, play some blackjack, play some craps. If you walk away a winner, great. If you walk away a loser, no big deal. And not to mention, when I gamble, in the back of my mind, I think, don't forget, if you win, 20% or more is going to go to taxes, you know? We don't think about that. I mean, at least it would. If you didn't get audited, it might not, but better to be on the up and up, you know? So then I got to thinking about income tax and how people think that raising the taxes on the wealthy creates all kinds of money and it's just so easy and that's the solution to raising taxes because people that advocate for taxes to be raised, unless they're the uber wealthy, they don't want taxes to be raised on them. They just want taxes to be raised up to the next guy above them, which says they don't really have the aspirations of making it there because then they wouldn't want to pay taxes. Either way, an income tax doesn't provide the revenue that most people think it does on just like the quote unquote wealthy, which I mean, here we are, like, describing people. We have multi-multi-billionaires, and we have people that live under a bridge, and we're, we're using the word wealthy to describe people. I mean, <laughs> could you get any more subjective? Well, he's wealthy. Oh, is he? Well, does he make 100 grand a year or 100 million a year? What, what does wealthy mean? So either way, uh, these people that want to tax the wealthy, the really wealthy, the people who make real money, they don't earn income. They don't get a paycheck. I mean, they might, but it's tiny, and there's a reason for that. It's so they don't have to pay income tax. Their money comes from capital gains, typically. So, uh, and if you if you if you know this, uh, you can change the channel or whatever. But there's lots of people out there that may not really understand how how the whole money and tax and wealth situation works. So I wanted to break it down. The really rich people, as I was just saying, uh, don't get taxed on income. They get taxed on capital gains. Now, what a capital gain is 
is making money by using your money to invest. So in anything other than running a business. So if I own a car dealership, obviously if I sell cars, that's considered ordinary income. Okay. That's the money coming into the business is income. If I own a car dealership and I also collect um, really expensive sneakers and I flip a bunch of sneakers throughout the year, that's a capital gain tax. If I buy a stock, if I, if I work at a hospital for a living, I'm a doctor and I buy stocks and I make money in the stock, that's a capital gains tax. So really rich people, when they, uh, when they negotiate deals, they don't, they don't put all the money in income. They put like stock options, right? So an option to buy a stock. So a stock option is really just the ability to purchase something at a future date for today's price. So when you do that, you can have instant gains, right? So five years ago, if I said, hey, right now, I'm going to hand you this ticket. And this ticket allows you to buy Amazon stock five years from now from today's price. Okay, you hang on to the ticket. The price goes up, the price goes up, the price goes up, the price goes up. Now you turn in your ticket, you get the Amazon stock, you can sell the stock, and you make all the money. So that's also a capital gains. And the, the, the problem with trying to tax capital gains and, and, and these other things is that it disincentivizes people to invest. You might say, well, good, they have plenty of money. They don't need to invest. They just need to sit on their money. The problem with that is that the way that our economy works is that we are set up for money to be moving. The faster money moves the more money people make. Because really, all it is 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 how fast money changes hands, right? So if I'm making, and this is, this is generalizations, right? You have to generalize over a population of 330 million people. There's going to be outliers, of course. But let's just say I'm making 30 grand a year. I'm making 30 grand a year, and my savings rate is, is 20%. So that means that every 30,000 I make, I save 6,000. And so Let's just say now it doubles. My, 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 my salary goes from 30000 a year to 60000 a year. More than likely, I'm still going to keep the same savings rate. I'm still going to save the same amount of percentage of money. But what happens is, is that now I have the ability, instead of spending uh, $25,000, I'm spending $50,000. And so now, instead of buying one car, I'm buying two cars. And so th- that works, think of like a a big family tree. Like you got it, you got two at the top, you know, and then as it goes down, it just spreads out exponentially and just grows and grows and grows. And that's how wealth is created in our, in our country. And really a big misconception is that technically it's not created. It just moves around. It just goes back and forth, changes hands because the amount of money that we have in circulation is just the amount of money we have in circulation. So that money can get paid to me in the form of income, then I can pay it to the government in the form of a tax, and the government can spend it on the military, and the dollar just moves around. It doesn't actually, you don't actually create them. So we use the word wealth creation. I feel like it should be like wealth accumulation. And so there's, there's two things to remember about that. So number one, the only people who can create money is the Federal Reserve. They have a magic button they can push, and it adds a bunch of zeros to the bank account. So now the banks have more money to loan, you have more money to invest, and it just the, the cycle just goes on and on and on. And so if we can all agree that there's just one big pile of money that we're all just taking some out and putting some in, just think of it like that. And so in order for one person to take, another person's got to give, okay? So this is how things like social systems work, right? In order to provide WIC to low-income families, 
the money's got to come from somewhere. So you have to take from somewhere to give to something else. It's like a big seesaw. Like it's got to be, you can't go, one side can't go up without the other side going down. It is impossible. And a lot of people think that the federal government just has the ability to to create money. And technically they do. But the the problem with that is that it causes inflation. And the way that works is think about it. I, I talked a little bit about it the other day, about providing everyone with something, you provide no one with something. So if there's 10 of us in a room and one person has $1,000 to their name, one person has two, one person has three, one person has four, one person has $5,000 to their name. And I hand everyone another $1,000. We increased everyone's worth by $1,000. Now, what happens when you increase the supply of something, which is in this case money, but you don't have a change in demand, right? So the, the demand for money is the guy who's selling his product. So there are no more products to be sold. There's only more money to be spent. The value of that money comes down, which in effect means prices go up, right? You decrease your purchasing power and that happens by the the prices of things going up. That's because the guy who has watermelons only has 10 watermelons. And so now everyone has a thousand more dollars. They're willing to pay a little bit more to get the watermelon because now they're they're competing with everyone else who has that extra thousand dollars. So the whole point behind this is that nothing is free, right? So no matter what we think that the government can produce or come up with or buy or give us or stimulus money or bailout money, that is not free. That money has to come from somewhere. There is a third way that the government uh, can acquire money, and that's through issuing debt, right? They sell treasury bonds to the public. So you go to the government, you say, hey, here's 10 grand. The government says, okay, we'll pay you 2% per year or whatever the rate is. And you say, okay, you got a deal. So now the government has borrowed that money from the citizens and it has to pay it back with interest. So that's just another, that's a whole other scenario. I'm not going to talk about that today. The whole point of today was that nothing is free. No bailouts are free. The government is super inefficient. And every dollar they take in, they chew it up and they spit out way less than a dollar. Just keep all that in mind when you're listening to these politicians talk about all the stuff they want to do and where they're going to get the money. And think about like an income tax on the quote unquote wealthy. That's not going to get as far. And... When someone says the word wealthy, make them define it. Make them say, okay, let's. what is wealthy? Chances are you're going to have a totally different definition. And that's the starting point, not whether or not we should tax the wealthy. We can't talk about whether or not we should tax the wealthy until we define what wealthy is. I was thinking about something today. I have a couple of those Yeti soft-sided coolers. And um, one of them we, we used down in Nicaragua a lot and on the boat. But the zippers would always break. They would get to the, you know, like zippers do that funny thing where they miss a line and you look at the zipper and both sides of it are open. I feel like we should have overcome that problem like two years after the zipper was invented. Why can we not make that? Okay. Anyway. So anyway, these Yeti coolers, they're kind of notorious for the zippers coming apart and they require that you use some lubricant to keep them lubed up and no one does it. So... Yeti having the lifetime warranty, I called them up or I did online. I presented the pictures. I got the card. You have to mail it in, all this stuff. And I thought, man, that that must have like really hurt them because I knew a lot of people that had problems with those same zipper setups. So they emailed me back and they said, uh, hey, go on this website, click on this link and select the cooler you want. We, we no longer make your cooler, but we have a replacement. So I go there. 
and they don't have any soft-sided like zipper coolers. Like they discontinued the entire design, and now they have this magnetic strip that rolls up and buckles closed. And I thought, you know what? Like a lifetime warranty, it'll do one of two things. It'll continually improve the product design because they get sick of paying for things that break and they get a good representation of what breaks because they got to pay for it. Or they'll go out of business because they can't, they can't keep up with the changes fast enough or the product is so good that they, nothing ever breaks. And, um, Everyone who knows me knows that I had an old stove in my last house in Conroe. It was built in the 50s by a company called Chambers. And they set out to build like a fine stove. And they did. And it was so good. They offered a lifetime warranty. You know what happened? They went out of business. Because these companies, they make a lot of their money on parts. And I don't know if it's a majority or a minority. It might be something I'll look into. But when they're building their model... They don't want to use the best parts. They want things to break so they can sell you parts. I feel like the same holds true in cars and air conditioners. And, you know, they know exactly what's going to fail. And so, I don't know. I just found that interesting. I I suspect that in the future, there'll be less and less companies doing lifetime warranties. If they do, they're going to charge you for it. So, the the cost to repair it is built into the price. And, And that may be what Yeti has done also. I don't know. But, I don't know. I just found that interesting. I'm going to take the dogs to the creek one last time. And, man, Bentley, she's just uh, – I mentioned the other day that she had a bum leg, but she is doing so much better. I think, like, lots of activity every day in, like, a, a decent climate has helped her a ton. Man, she's got more energy. She's chasing the ball. After the first day that we went to the uh, – took her to the creek, she couldn't walk the next day. Well, she she would put zero weight, 0% weight on her right front foot. And so I let it – kind of come back to normal i took her for the walk again the next day she was fine i took her again yesterday she was fine today like i don't know like she's just uh she's doing way better so might just mean that she needs a little bit more exercise i'll keep you posted on that thanks so much for listening i'm gonna be driving tomorrow and the next day and then i'm gonna get settled and then i don't know when the next podcast is gonna be but i'm gonna make it a goal to do three per week i don't know if it's feasible I think it is, but I'm going to shoot for three per week. I'd love to hear any feedback from anybody. It's kind of lonely <laughs> at times it's talking to this mic and then listening to yourself. I mean, who likes to listen to themselves? Nobody does. It's painful out here. Okay, I'm rambling now. Thanks again for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. If you get a chance, go spend some time alone in nature. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Creeping down the back street on D's. I got my Glock cock cause niggas won't please. No soon as I said it, seems I got sweated by some nigga with a tech nine trying to take mine. You wanna make noise, make noise. I make a phone call, my niggas coming like the Gotti boys. Bodies being found on Greenleaf with the fucking heads cut off. Motherfucker, I'm Dre. So listen to the play by play, day by day. Rolling in my phone with 16 switches. And got sounds for the bitches. Got the hollow points for the snitches So won't you just walk on by Cause I'm too hard to lift And know this ain't Aerosmith It's the motherfucking D.R.E. From the C.P.T. On a riding spree A straight G Hop back as I pop my top You trip I let the hollow points